What? Twin fiddles in the 21st century? Who says country music is dead? No one told the damn tall buildings. That's Purdy right there. Hey, welcome to Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that introduces you to the cats that you should know. I'm your host, Matt Bell. Lars Thorson, one of the two fiddle players on this song, is definitely a cat you should know. He's a singer, a songwriter, a guitar player, a banjo picker, a dobro slider, but most importantly, a fiddle player. He's on one of the biggest tours in country music right now. So when they came through town, we had to make sure he got to hang an electric violin shop. You may have seen the video we shot that day on the EVS Instagram page. It got a lot of love. Anytime you get a chance to sit down with a guy who's found himself on some of the biggest stages the music world has to offer, you should take it. They've got great advice and fantastic stories. And you might just find yourself taking shots backstage with the entire band a few hours later. Not that we would ever do that. Of course not. Theoretically. So let's get on with our chat with Lars Thorson, rock star violinist. So you're actually a Nashville native. There is a such thing as a Nashville native. We're unicorns, man. Yeah, I was born and raised, uh, I was born in Baptist Hospital in Midtown Nashville, Tennessee, and I grew up right there by uh, Belmont. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, uh, it was a real cool place to grow up. I, I was there till I was 19, and then I went up to college in Boston, and uh, then moved back home, I think I was about 22. I've been home about five years. Okay. So it's been great, man. So. The uh, growing up in Nashville, and you come from a musical family. Yes, sir. Right? That's uh, just sort of talk about how that influenced your your uh, your progression musically. Well, man, I mean, it was it was cool. It was this, uh, you know, getting to grow up around music and being in Nashville, growing up around all sorts of styles. Like it's we're known for country music, but there's always been a jazz scene and a pop scene and a rock scene, and you know, it was this really cool place to be, where there was no there was no limitation on what kind of music you could get your hands on. So my, my grandfather played country music. He was a, a rockabilly singer, um, but he, he played fiddle for uh, country bands primarily uh, for about 50 years. And so I grew up with that. There was literally a fiddle in my crib. Um, and uh, But then I also grew up with cool rock bands. And I mean, I, I grew up literally living just about next door to Tracy Silverman. And so all kinds of cool funk and, you know, progressive violin stuff. And, you know, was able, I took lessons with a few of the, the Wooten brothers because they all live in Nashville. I mean, it was just this amazing, you know, just amalgam of just cool music, man. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was definitely, as a young kid, I gravitated more toward rock and, you know, "Quote unquote cool music." The, you know, it's you know, I'm, I'm 12 and I'm you know trying to get into you know Zeppelin and Janis Joplin and stuff. And so I mean, I really leaned toward that and I started playing bass and electric guitar because you know I thought that was what was cool and you know it is pretty cool. Uh, and uh, but you know as I went on, I started discovering other kinds of music. And uh, but it wasn't until I got to Boston and I started studying with these really amazing, you know, traditional fiddle players, you know, progressive traditional, but, you know, Daryl Anger specifically is who I was always really in love with. And I got there and Daryl and I lived with a couple Texans and they turned me on to this really cool 
traditional American music and country music and, you know, guys like Towns Van Sant um, and, you know, Christofferson and all sorts of great songwriters and The Outlaws and Willie Nelson and Buck Owens and, you know, who is not an outlaw but still awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, all this music was just really great and so I was able to sort of build it on top of this background of rock and even before that kind of country and western swing that really really caused me to have this interesting three-dimensional approach to music it's not I'm not just a fiddle player I'm not just you know I, I work in pop country bands but I'm not just a pop country fiddle player I've I've worked I've played guitar in all kinds of bands I've played in bluegrass bands I've played in jazz trios I, you know I've Whatever it is, it's it's all because of that natural approach. It, it's all it's all music, man. It's all good hang. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's even honestly my one of my biggest influences was a, a teacher I had. He uh, a guy named Shannon Williford. He's a, a Louisiana harmonica player. Plays Ten Hole Heart. Um, his nickname's Bayou. I'm a real kind of swampy <laughs> Southern Louisiana guy. And uh, he walks around with a, a fishing vest full of harps. Sure, he does. Because. Um, that's what Bayou would do, yeah. Um, but uh, Shannon ran this awesome music program uh, through the Metro Park system in Nashville. And so they had a building in uh, Centennial Park, which is over there off West End. And uh, they taught with uh, it was Shannon and Sam Frazee, and they taught this awesome thing called Jam Band. And you go in, and I think I started going about 14, and I really wanted to play bass. And I came in with my Ibanez Iceman bass that I bought out with lawn, uh, uh, excuse me, lawn mowing money. And uh, I get in, and I was like, I want to play bass. And they're like, all right, that's cool. Here's a guitar. Here's three chords play, you know, all along the watchtower. Um, and Shannon ended up being really a mentor and a dear friend. And he has this wonderful, really that southern Louisiana approach to, you know, his, his, big, his big quote was, it go that way too. And for, you know, people in the back, that's, it oh, yes. goes that way too. Oh, yeah. But, it, you know, and it was anytime something didn't go my way, I'm like, man, like, I'm not happy about this. What are you? Oh, it go that way too. You know, it's, and it's just, yeah, man, like, stuff happens. You go with it. It was that, and uh, anytime something wasn't very good, man, it was pretty good. Just try it again, but mo' better. <laughs> and that was, you know, and I mean, that was huge for me. And I wouldn't have had access to that anywhere else because I'm not from southern Louisiana. I've been to New Orleans twice. Like, I, you know, I... But I have a great deal of experience in this music because he was bringing me around to bars and I was getting to play with guys like Nick Nixon, who's a recently passed away, but he was a mainstay. He was the Nashville blues scene for 40 years. Um, and I mean, getting to know these guys and know really authentically this style of music couldn't have happened anywhere other than Southern Louisiana and Nashville because people from all walks go there. Right. So you get everything. It's dope. I mean, it really, it was amazing. And, you know, it's definitely, it's a growing city. A lot's changing in it. And, you know, people are kind of figuring out what that means for the town. But, you know, musically, having gotten to grow up there, it was just, there was access to everything. I mean, you, you talk about, uh, Nick Offerman is a comedian I really enjoy. In one of his books, he talks about how he didn't grow up in really a, a big metro area, but he grew up near college. And growing up near college negates anything about where you may grow up because you're always going to have acts that wouldn't come to you otherwise, sure. but they're going to come for the college. Um, and I grew up somewhere that was just by nature of what it was. It was a destination. People came, you had, you know, the coolest bands. I mean, you know, 
everybody came through and you could see Lyle Lovett and you could see the time jumpers and you, you know, just these awesome bands that I might not have been exposed to otherwise. It was a great place to be. Yeah. So you're, you're quite a bit younger than me. I grew up without the internet. Was right. it, the internet was, was sort of a fledgling thing as you were coming up, I guess. When I was real, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think I've ever been alive that the internet wasn't happening. I think, the internet really starts, websites start really coming around around 95. I'm born in 92. Okay. Um, but we got a, a computer in 99. I was seven. It was one of those big white Dell things. Oh, yeah. Uh, or a gateway. There we go. Like the box had the cow oh, yeah, on yeah. okay. <laughs> it. I, if anybody from Gateway is listening to this, please contact us and explain us why it had the cow thing. <laughs> um, no, uh, it, the internet played a huge role in my musical evolution because it's, I mean, I, I talk about how important Nashville is in having all of these things available to me, but then by 2002, everything is available to me. There is nothing that is not, you know, accessible by fingertips. And so, I mean, it's this amazing moment where, I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about electric violins later on, but I mean, I'm you know, 12, 13, I've seen some stuff with electric violins, I'm curious as to what that is, and I end up on the electric violin website, or the electric violin shop website, because that really, at the time, was the only resource that I found that wasn't just a single brand promoting itself. You know, you'd find Yamaha, but they're going to tell you about a Yamaha violin. I get there, and you guys are explaining, like, this is what a pickup is, and this is what a pickup is in conjunction with a violin like that's you know piezo versus you know transducer or whatever it is and that was so important to have that resource to just be able to you know go look stuff up and it was this amazing i mean i remember when i was young they had those disc sets of the encyclopedia britannica okay because i don't think they knew that you were going to be able to do it on the internet or at least they were really hoping you wouldn't be able to do it on the internet and so you'd get, I remember through school, they'd like send you home with a sampler. You could read the encyclopedia on your computing machine. Um, <laughs> and I remember being very confused because nobody really knows anything about these computers and I don't know anything about them. I'm like, okay, cool, I have this thing, but I can also just type in the question to the Google and I get there. Yeah. And it was, I mean, that was huge. And I mean, I talk about not just the internet, but you think about some of the software we have access to. Like I talked to Fred Carpenter, um, was telling me a story about, he was learning, I think it was a Kenny Baker tent, it doesn't matter. But uh, he was talking to me about how he had the record, uh, he had a 45 of whatever this tune was, and he'd run it at 33 right. so he could hear it slower and then he would learn it, you know, he'd tune it because it's, it's some yep. semitone off, so yeah. he'd tune his fiddle so you it's know, like close. C-ish. Yeah, so you tune to, you know, a flat C, and then you'd learn it in C, but the tune's in, you know, whatever, D, you know, right. E probably. Yeah, then you gotta transcribe. And that's how he would learn a real hard passage if he couldn't hear it the first go through. Whereas we have, you know, by the time I'm learning anything that you need to slow down, I had the amazing slowdown. Which was, I mean, that in and of itself is the most amazing piece of technology. I love, I love that piece of software. Oh. And I know it's cheating, but you know what? It's not cheating. No, no, cheating, is, there is no cheating, man. That, that's it's, where I'm at. If you get there, you get there. It's, you know, this isn't chess. There aren't rules. No, I, I'm all about 
you know, and there are much better fiddle players out there than I, and if they don't need to get it slowed down, good on them. Not that good. I'm going to slow it down and figure it out, man. Yeah. Yeah, that, that discovering the amazing slowdown or any tune or, or any of those that can right. slow something down and loop it. And, and oh, that yeah. thing that was... You're like, whoa, that was cool. Whoop. And you slow it down and it's... It's got that little thing. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, that's a game changer. Well, do you remember there isn't a person in this world that's played in a rock band that has not learned this song... Last Dance with Mary Jane. Yeah. You're, did you le- learn it off of the track? Uh, no, I learned it on stage. Okay, so if ever, that actually is a really accurate way that everybody has learned that song. But <laughs> for the, the few of us that learned that sitting in a room, they're not in tune. They, they are in tune, oh, but they're not. not I, think it, I think it's a D tune. I think they're in D. It's not a D note. It's it's just it's a little south. Of, I, I may have that wrong, but it's south of whatever it is. That's not four. They did not tune to four forty. And uh, man, having a software so you don't have to. You know, if you're learning fifteen songs and one of them's that, and you gotta like either deal with the out of tuneness or you right. gotta like to. If you got a little piece of software that's just like, yeah, I want to drop it. ten cents. Yep. yep, done. Great. It's awesome. I do a lot of church gigs too, so sometimes you'll get you know. Maybe it was recorded with a female singer, and mm-hmm. we're going to do it with a male singer. So instead of doing it in D, we're going to do it in F. Right. And and you know, worship leaders love them capos, <laughs> so they end up in some strange. Hey, we're going to do this in F sharp. You're like, okay, you know. And, and if and that's why we travel with two fiddles. Yeah. So they'll, uh, you know, you just you just detune it in the in the software. Right. Just learn it that way. It's just easier. Oh, so much, man. But yeah, no, I mean that. And I mean, I'm I'm in that weird in between generation that I fundamentally didn't grow up without technology, but I also I do remember. I mean, I know what a fax is. Like I I, I see a fax machine, and I'm like, oh, I recognize. You know, it has a little phone on it, and so it, it's that weird. But I definitely recognize what an incredible tool the tech. I mean, you think about the most important thing in my day to day is the voice memo on my phone. Oh my goodness! And I mean, you think about—I—I I remember it was my one year of playing violin. I did my one year uh, recital. I was about to turn seven. I was six years old. And my dad shows up, and he had one of those—I uh, think it was a Casio, uh, you know, uh, cassette recorders. Oh, yeah, the little um, mini yeah, cassette. just the you know, probably you know, wasn't even six. You know, it was probably six eight inches long. Um, so I could record my lessons. And that was, and I mean, we, I was over here cooking with fire, man. Like it was awesome. And then, you know, 10 later, 10 years later, it's like, oh, I really wish I had that little tape recorder. Well, man, this is called an iPhone and we have the technology and it just, it's made that notes. You know, my dad still carries around his little piece of paper in his uh, shirt pocket. He will not buy a shirt that doesn't have a breast pocket (laughs) because he cannot carry around his his PDA paper digital assistant <laughs> because he's funny probably and uh, it's great but you know you have all this on the phone and I mean it really those sorts of tools I carry a tuner and a metronome on my phone and so mm-hmm. like if I've got time in a green room I've got a, a, a metronome at 120 trying to you know trying to once again learn how to do a banjo roll at 120 um, you know it's it really the, the technology has been huge just on the the consumer, not even, you know, I'm not talking amps and right. DIs and stuff. I'm just talking 
YouTube. Just think how many backing tracks are on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Or man. even drones. If we're going to practice yeah. intonation, I'll just pull up a, an A drone. Oh. And it rolls for eight minutes. Oh, yeah. And I practice. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, you're doing your scales. Having those drones, that's actually a, a piece that I'll see floating around pretty regularly is uh, Daryl uh, recorded. It's some kind of, it's, I think it's a Middle Eastern instrument. It's got like 10 sympathetic strings. And so you just draw a bow across it, and it's this... It's kind of like a hurdy-gurdy, I think. Um, but he has, in all 12 keys, he has recorded this oh drone. Goodness. And that, I mean, it, at Berkeley, that was... Everybody had this on their phone, and if you didn't, you know, within a semester, somebody would get you a, a little jump drive with it, because that was what every one of us was using to practice our... I mean, I even remember, uh, you know... Uh, guest teachers would come in and they would know about it and they'd be like, yeah, let's let's work on this this scalar pattern. You got Daryl's drums, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You might you guys might be hearing a little clicking around here. My dog is the biggest like attention whore in history. He keeps walking back and forth between me and Lars getting petted. Cassius is making sure that I feel welcome. <laughs> yeah, aren't you, buddy? Man, that's I. Whenever I'm out on the road, I really miss. Our, we have a, a puppy named Towns at the house. He just okay. crossed a year, and uh, it's it's nice to to get to meet other friendly dogs. We uh, the the venues occasionally will bring out uh, rescue puppies. Oh, okay. um, and we'll just you know for an afternoon they've got six little you know six months or younger little dogs just running around, and you just get to play with them, hang out with them on your breaks. It's awesome. So, yeah, all that to say, we're sitting in my house in Cary, North Carolina, and uh, you're, you're not in Nashville. You're out on the road no, right sir. now. Yes, I am out. Uh, we are playing in the Raleigh-Durham area tonight. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of the venue. Yeah, Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek. Yeah, it's, it's really pretty, man. I'm, pretty. I'm really digging this venue. Yeah, uh, Raleigh's a really beautiful town. Yeah, I, I used to do a fair bit of work out in Greensboro, and we'd come up this way for some stuff, and I, I really... It's a pretty place, man. Yeah. Remember how I said Lars is a guitar player and a singer? Here's a clip from a session he did at Corner Music in Nashville. This is his cover of Towns Van Zant's Loretta. Sparkling eyes are hazel hue. Spend my money like a waterfall. Loves me like I want her to. Loves me like I want her to. Darling, put your guitar on Have another shot of booze Sing a blue and wailing song Guitar sing the melody Guitar says Loretta's fine Long and lazy, blonde and free And I can have her anytime Oh, I can have her anytime Prettiest at the setting sun She don't cry when I can't stay Least not till she's all alone Red, I won't be gone long Keep your dancing slippers on Leaning out a while I'm coming home to make you smile I'm coming home, baby, make you smile 
No, man, I, I work for a guy named Kane Brown. Uh, he's a younger artist out of Nashville. Uh, does a really cool thing. I've been with him just about a year. Uh, we're out opening up for uh, Jason Aldean right now. And it's Jason and us and a woman named Carly Pierce. And, uh, man, it's a really cool gig. Everybody's great. Uh, we've been doing this since May, I think. Uh, we were on a headlining at the beginning of the year. Um, and then we'll, we'll go to headlining uh, starting at the top of 2020. Um, but man, it's awesome. I do acoustic utility for Kane. And so that's basically, you know, I'm, I'm primarily a fiddle player, but you don't need fiddle on everything. And so I travel, uh, you know, with some fiddles and a couple banjos, uh, specifically, a you know, a five string traditional bluegrass banjo. And I play, you know, three finger or a, an approximation of three finger uh, scrug style. And uh, then I also play a six string ganjo which is uh, tuned like a banjo, or sorry, tuned like a guitar, but built like a banjo, and it's for something that you hear in a lot of Nashville music. Um, and a lot of people think that it's really just for guitar players, so they don't have to learn banjo, which I don't really find to be true. It's, uh, it's played differently. It has a much lower register, and it's, it's a lot of kind of single note, what you would do on an acoustic guitar, kind of almost flat-picky stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it gets you to... What it does for you is it really allows you to cover a different sonic range. Um, and then I also do dobro and electric guitar. And so on that gig, it really is, my job is to fill in the holes. Um, and that's really, really a fun gig because it's, you know, some of it's uh, lead stuff. Um, some of it is, you know, me taking solos on fiddle, but then, you know, solos on guitar. But then a lot of it is, you know, if I'm doing... If I'm doing banjo, I'm there to, to fill up a texture. If I'm doing dobro, it's do little fills in and out and kind of complement the vocal. And so the fun thing with my gig is that it's, I'm never, even just song to song, I'm never doing the same thing. Um, and it's, it's always, and it keeps my chops up because it forces me to obviously play a lot of fiddle, but it forces me to be a fair banjo player and a fair guitar player. And, you know, when I first moved back to Nashville, I was having trouble, there, there weren't a lot of fiddle gigs around. It was, I mean, especially, you think, Radio Country in 2014, there, there was not much fiddle on the radio. So apart from, and thank you Darius Rucker, for, you know, Wagon Wheel, because I worked two summers, I mean, I paid my bills two summers, because bands that would have never, let me specify, I met my fiancé, because bands that never would have needed to hire a fiddle player needed to play Wagon Wheel. And my fiance was uh, singing in a, uh, you know, a cover band, and their fiddle player was out of town for the summer, and they needed to play a wagon wheel, and so I showed up and I played wagon wheel, and so thank you for that. Uh, but no, I mean, it, I got to town, and so I was playing guitar. I moved back home, and uh, immediately I, I had gotten a one of those little, uh, I think it's a Pro X Martin. It's one of their lower end composite series acoustics. Um, while I was in Boston, and I was playing. I was writing on that and playing some gigs, doing some traditional country stuff. But then I bought myself a little, you know, Squire Telly and started digging on electric, man. And it was, I did that until about last summer. And then I got some gigs and then I started with Kane last winter and, uh, you know, primarily fiddle ever since. But it's nice to get to, you know, really exercise all of those muscles, not just have to play, you know, and I mean, you even think, I know guys who are incredible jazz violinist or western swing fiddle players or whatever it is and you know I, I, I really respect the specialization the guys who know everything about 
you know, they can name you every lick that Bob Wills has ever played, and I greatly admire that. But, you know, I'm, I'm a, I do a little bit of everything, but I'm certainly a master of nothing. Um, and it's, I enjoy that. It's, there's always something new to learn and new to do, and it's great. I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I, I love kind of doing those little, uh, I call them texture games, yeah. where you come in and you're just providing a little, a little color that wasn't there. Uh, how much of your show is written and how much are you just making up on the spot? I mean, so it's, everything is based off of recorded music. I mean, everything we're going to do, I mean, even if, you know, even if Kane has a new song, there's going to be a demo for it. And so we're going to listen to that and take parts. Um, but I'd say probably... There's a lot of freedom. Um, and on most gig, there's gigs, there's a lot of freedom. There's some that I've been on that don't. But, I mean, even established artists, the you're playing live with them. And part of the beauty of that is you want to have a live show. Sure. And the live show is going to be a little different from the record. There are some things that are sacred. There are some things sure. that, you know, we want this like the record because, it you know, it's a hit. It works, whatever. But, I mean, to that point, you know, I showed up and... Uh, one of the song, one of Kane's biggest songs, is a song called "Heaven," um, and it's a dobro playing the lead line. So I learned it on dobro. I played my first gig with it on dobro, and uh, then we did a couple radio shows, which I'm just playing fiddle. So I, you know, I adapted it for fiddle because you know that's how stuff works. And then we got to the next gig, and Kane was like, "Hey, man, you you played that on fiddle the other night." I was like, "Yeah, I, I did." And this is, again, this is I think his biggest or second biggest song ever. Very memorable. It's one of our show closers, um, he goes, why don't you play on fiddle? And I was like, well, I can do that, but that's not what the record is. Record's dubbed on That's fine. It sounds really good on fiddle. Why don't you do it on fiddle? And so that kind of latitude's been awesome. That's Being awesome. able to do, there a, I think, two two of the, the singles that we do, I'm playing instruments that were not what they were recorded with. Like, I'm playing fiddle, fiddle lead fiddle on two songs that were not recorded with lead fiddle. And you're just like, man, I, I like the fiddle. Why don't we, you know, try some fiddle? And so that, that's been really cool. Here's a fan video we dug up of the song Heaven that Lars just talked about. Well, I apologize for the audio quality. It's a cell phone from the audience in the middle of about 20,000 of Lars's closest friends. This is
on some of the stuff and I'm doing we cover uh, a song called Happier which is a real big hit last year uh, and uh, so we cover Happier and I'm doing I've got a, an octaver and a light chorus and I'm doing kind of Juno pads like a you know a Juno keyboard I'm doing essentially Juno string pads on my electric because we're listening to this I'm like there's not really a place for really anything I do here but I could do like a cool kind of delayed out slightly phasey Juno patch. And that's what I do, and it's a really fun, for me, fun addition to the show. But for them, it's, for the crowd being them, it's just, it's a sound. It's not, they don't know what I'm doing. They don't, they don't know that I've spent years figuring out how octaves work, and like, if I really want an all dry signal, or, or a primarily dry signal, or an all wet, you know, like, they don't care. They, they're hearing this interesting sound, and that's what I'm there to provide. I, I love that, you know, I, most of my gigs have been in-ear gigs, obviously. Right. And, you know, even with that, you can still hear the house a mm -hmm. little bit, you know. And, and, and there's times I'm doing stuff that I can hear in the house from where I'm standing. And people are like, I can't hear the fiddle. You're like, <laughs> I can hear it from where I'm standing. It just doesn't sound like a fiddle. It doesn't sound like what you think a fiddle sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Well, and we, we have one of the best. I, I've been incredibly impressed with our front of house guy. Excuse me. A guy named David Lloyd. David, if you're listening, we all love you. Um, and, <laughs> Turn uh, up the fiddle. <laughs> but David sends us board tapes every night. Like, I get to listen to the way football players have game tapes. Sure. I have game tape every night, and it's awesome because I can go through and I can listen. And it's, you know, you think about you're building your, your tones, you specifically, me specifically, and I listen to them. That's cool. And, and I like... I mean, I, I come from a more kind of traditional music background, so I enjoy some non-polished sound. Like, I sure. enjoy kind of, you know, things that are a little screechy. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Like, I, I dig that from time to time. And, but then I'll listen to it in the mix, and sometimes it's awesome. Like, there's, we do a song, uh, and it's really kind of our rock song feature. And so I have this really aggressive bit compressor on my fiddle. And it's, it is not a nice sound. But it sounds awesome in the context of this big rock band behind me and then I'm playing this real piercing lead line. It's great. But then some other other times I've mixed in a little, you know, some heavy treble and then I'll listen to that board tape and I'm like, that doesn't work in the context of a band. So having that, being able to listen back is really great. And so when people are like, yeah, man, the fiddle's not turned up. <sighs> okay. I mean, I'm sorry you can't hear it, but I can't. I'll yeah. stop slipping him $20 to turn me down. Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but that's, I mean, the point that you make of hearing it, goodness, my dog just freaked out. Um, hearing it in your in-ears and hearing a board take where you're, where you're back in the mix, because of course in your, in your in-ears, my wife actually listened to my in-ear mix one time. Mm -hmm. She's, that's a very egotistical mix. That's so the point. you're large and in charge in your ears. 
So hearing it way, what I consider to be way back in the mix, right. is is a whole different thing. And you're the way it lays in that full mix is very different from how it lays in your ears. Oh yeah. Well, I love. I, I actually I'm so interested in this discussion. You know, hearing that I have ears, everybody else is hearing a completely separate mix in front of house, and everybody on stage just has their own ear mix. And the point is that you get. Some people want a real studio mix. I don't know how you are. I'm a click and me guy. Like, so long as I have, so and for, I imagine anybody listening to this probably already knows this, but we're hearing a metronome. Um, and so that keeps everybody together. And because, you know, for all the things that are happening, you know, we've got lights programmed with our show. So that's all the time code. Um, and that means, so we have to be on this grid. Um, and so we've got the click. And it's nice to hear everything else. I definitely, any of the other lead instruments, I make sure that I have them so I'm not stepping on anybody. Um, but at the same time, all you really need, if you know the songs, and you know, we've been doing this set for a while, like I, I know the set, all you really need is a click in you. Like if, if everything goes wrong, like and there are going to be days that, I mean, literally, we're all wireless. So I mean, they're literally... If we're too close to a cell tower, uh-huh. we're going to take buzzings and things. And so there are days that I'll just go to the monitor and I'm like, hey, drop this, this, and this. And no, I'm not going to get an accurate mix for what's on stage, but I've got my grid and I've got me. And that's really all you need to get through. through the night with that. Right. Like, I mean, you can do, you can do a 90-minute set on that and you can do a good job. Um, but then you listen to the front of house mix and obviously that has to be polished and more of a studio sound. But what I love is listening to, you know, these board mixes that we get and they are pre-fader. And by pre-fader, I mean oh, okay. that, so, so our ears, cause we're just recording, uh, front of house. Oh, sorry. No, they're not pre-fader. They're post the, the board tape is post fader. That, that makes much more sense. Um, we're he- everything we're hearing is doesn't touch board. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, front of house pulling, board. If he's pulling your part down in the mix, right. you don't know that. Right, because I'm hearing my ears mix, which is necessarily pre-fader for the front of house, and then his mix is post-fader. So what I'm hearing turns out that sometimes when I'm playing, I'm not actually playing because he's making a mix call. Right. And what's been really fun is most of the time he's right. Because yep. I'll listen to these board tapes and I'll, you know, and I'll, I'll get on a wild hair and I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if I do this thing. And one night I'll do it and he doesn't know it's coming. So he lets it roll. And it, you know, to me, I'm like, oh, I pulled, I pulled off a cool, like, you know, Bobby Hicks lick or something. Like, oh, <laughs> duh, I wanted that. It's not good. It's not in the context of what we're doing. And the next night I'll go for it and I'll be like, oh yeah, I pulled the lick off. And then I'll listen to the, the board tape. It's not there. And he's right. And I and literally, I, I mean, I've done, they did a, a live recording of one of Kane's singles probably six months back. And uh, it's one where it didn't have a fiddle part and I did the fiddle part, you know, I added a fiddle part. And so it's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of making up my own thing for this. So, you know, uh, it's definitely, it's got a lot of my own personal taste in the, in the part. And, uh, so, you know, I've been listening to that, you know, in my ears, we've been playing, I've been listening to it for months at this point. And then they released the song. And I was like, oh, sick. I haven't really listened to it. I haven't listened to the board tapes in a few weeks. I don't really, I haven't heard this. So let's check it out. And there's a whole little thing I do that's not in there. 
and it sounded so much better. And I was my first thought was, David took me out. I'm like, oh, thank God, David took me out. That's way better. And so it's 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 it all depends on trusting your board, your front of house guy, and not every, you know everybody's going to be different at their job. But like I, I'm lucky enough to have. Really, our entire crew is incredible, but I mean, I've, I've got a, a monitor engineer and a front of house engineer that are just great. I get a really consistent ears mix every night, and we listen to these board tapes, and I mean, this guy David just is doing beautiful work, man. It's awesome. So it's good to be able to trust your guys, and it's good that they'll take their own artistic liberties, because, you know, my job is to just send a good signal and into notes to front of house. And that's the end of my job. If it sounds bad coming out of the speaker, so long as I send a full signal, you know. And so you get good guys doing stuff. And the whole point of that is that you have to trust them to take good artistic liberties. And I'm without a doubt, I sound better on the other side of his board because he does good things to me. I'm a front of house guy, too. And that's one of the big debates in the community is, is like, is it my job to simply make these guys louder or am I actually a producer? Right. And, and I land more on the producer side. Um, so your front house guy is, like you said, making artistic decisions oh. and going, yeah, those two parts don't really work together well, so I'm going to pick one. And I pick that <laughs> Well, and he, he is a live producer. I mean, sure. no question, like, what a producer does for a record, he's doing for our show. Um, but it's, I mean, it's definitely, you know, guys who are, uh, you know the house front of house engineer, like the, they come with the venue. I get, I mean, that, that is a, you don't know these guys intimately. So like, you know, and I've, I've run front of house a handful of times. And when it's that situation, turn the faders up, make sure your gain station's good and let them go. If they ask for something, let them do it. Yeah. I mean, if they're like, Hey man, can you throw some verb on this thing? Like totally, absolutely. But like, they don't want it. It's not your job. Um, but then, you know, when you, cause it's, our, you know, the, the guy, I mean, and everything's different. We're still, relatively speaking, a fairly small camp. I think we we travel with just under 30 people, I think. Um, so it's the sort of thing where everybody knows each other sure. well. Everybody knows each other's wives and girlfriends and, you know, whatever. Um, and so it's, everybody in our camp is effectively a part of the band. I mean, it's, it's not, I'm on stage and the guitar tech isn't. But I'm not going to get through a show without Daniel bringing me an in-tune fiddle. Like, I'm, I'm going to have a horrible show. The show doesn't happen without those guys. Oh, and, it's, and they have as much of an ownership as I do, just as much as they have absolutely as much, likely more responsibility than I do. Because I work for, for the opening slot, we play 45 minutes. I work for 45 minutes and maybe an extra 20 if we have a sound check. So I effectively work for about an hour a day. The crew works for 12. Yeah. They're doing a lot more. They're working a lot harder. And they really, I mean, they they deserve, I mean, they don't just deserve, they have that artistic uh, input regardless of if you think they do or if you think they should. If, if my tech doesn't bring me the right fiddle or the right banjo or whatever or... You know, the front of house guy decides that, you know, Lars made a rude joke to me today. Lars is going to have no low end in his instrument. That's, you know, that's a part of it. No front of house guy would actually do that because at the end of the day, it's on him to give a good signal. 
But, we're, you know, it's all a team. We're all a family. It's all a thing. And we, we spend, I mean, I think we will have done just about 120 dates this year. And with traveling, that's, you know, in various events and in town, you're looking at, I probably, I've likely spent more days with these guys than I have with my fiance. Sure. Um, in just in this year period, like no question, I've spent, at least up to this point, I have spent more time with these guys than I have with my fiance. And, uh, you know, there's just... It's a team. Sure. Here's a board tape of Lars playing his feature solo before the hit song Lose It on his Jordan 7-string violin. Obviously, they've muted all the mics because you're just hearing Lars and the keyboard player. But enjoy. the fact that you know you're listening to a tape and you go wait he, he yanked my part out of there but you know I think that was the right musical thing to do so that sort of shows that you're able to maybe put the ego aside a little bit talk about oh. the, the training that you had coming up where you're paying people to tell you what you're doing wrong mm-hmm. and, and I, I think in the string world that's a little different from a, lo- a lot of different musicians right right well, let, let me let me first and foremost just this does not answer the question at all. There is no ego here. Like there is, and in any gig I've ever done, the guys that are the worst to work with, the guys that get fired most regularly, are the people who show up, and there's a lot of ego. Now you're going to see in the show tonight there is a lot of featuring of me. I have a lot of moments. I go out on the front of the thrust, and there's a spotlight, and I yell at the crowd and do a whole thing. And that that's showmanship, and there there's a certain level of ego in that. It takes a little sure. to walk on a stage. Absolutely, but it's at the end of the day, my job is to with a group of people like we're just talking about to deliver the best possible product for my boss. And my boss is also on stage with me, and he is very visible. And if I do a very bad job, nobody's you know, if we have a reporter somewhere and I do a very bad job on stage, they're not going to say, Lars Thorson played bad tonight. They're going to say, Kane, Brown, Kane Brown's fiddle player did a bad job. Kane Brown's band isn't good. And that's, that's not, I mean, it's, there is no ego. It's not about me. 90% of the people do not know my name. They know my boss's name. And I'm there to give him the best show because that's my job and that's what I love to do. And so, I mean, you show up. Anywhere and people, you know, I know I've seen people, you know, like, hey man, we're gonna cut the solo here, and they get upset. 
I don't, I mean, you know, we'll all rag on each other, you know, like, oh, you don't want me to play a solo, whatever. But, like, guys, really, you're not going to let me do that solo. And it's like, well, it's not, we're doing a TV performance and we're cutting a four-minute song to two and a half. Like, we don't need two guitar solos, brother. I'm sorry. Um, and so that's for anybody, any, if, if I am lucky enough to be talking to anybody who is aspiring to do music professionally through this podcast, the, you know, <laughs> And I've stumbled into pretty much everything I've ever done. But the only piece of active advice I can really give you is don't have an ego. Ego is crap. You're not as good as you think you are. And anybody who is as good as they are doesn't think they are. The best players in the world are going to tell you how good the other guy is. Right. And the, everybody else will be like, yeah, I'm a big deal, man. Um, so, yeah. But I'm just glad you mentioned that you get yeah. a thing. But, man, yeah. I mean, everybody... We were talking about this earlier. Most of my friends are guitar players. Almost none of them have any sort of, you know, uh, structured training um, because that's not the route of electric guitar. Right. Um, and and I did grow up with, you know, I started lessons at six and I was lucky enough to, you know, have a family that played. So I was learning bluegrass fiddle from my family on weekends and then I would go to lessons and I'd learn technique and posture and and I think that it was you know I was always lucky to have both very good teachers and very kind teachers um I my the teacher that I basically had for my entire childhood is a woman named Tony Ferguson um and she she's taught a lot of students in Nashville and is really an incredible teacher um and she was one who was she was very good at being very encouraging um but I just, I never remember thinking of it as anybody telling me what not to do. It was always, you know, I was young, but it was always, you know, we were on the same team. You know, it was the idea of paying somebody, you know, I'm not going to pay you to tell me how good I am. Like, I don't need that. I've, I'm an only child, man. There's a lot of people <laughs> here. Um, like, I, I don't need, I'm loved. I don't need anybody to tell me how good I am. Uh but that was the whole idea. Somebody, what I do remember is uh, getting to college. In my very first semester at Berkeley, I'm studying with a guy named Simone Shaheen, who is an incredible Middle Eastern violinist and oud player. And uh, Simone is from this, uh, I can't remember what country he's from, but he studied in Russia. He studied at the, the whatever the Royal Conservatory is. And he has that, and you know, he's studying Western classical violin, and he has that thing. It's the, and I remember, and I'm, I'm showing up, I'm 19, I'm, you know, I, nobody here can see me. I'm a big, goofy guy. I'm from Nashville. I like, you know, country Western music. And I show up, and this guy's like, yeah. And the reason I really wanted to study with him is that he uh, is a master of microtonal Middle Eastern music. And I'm super interested by that because I'm over here like, man, I play all the wrong notes anyway. Let's figure out how to make them right. Like, let's go. Um, and uh, I remember being really excited to study with him. And he met me. He saw me play. And he very much recognized that he was worried about my uh, posture because I, I have a, a relaxed way of playing. Um, and... So he really wanted to teach me Western music and get my chops up. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of the, the, 
we we ended up being good friends. I still really, anytime I get to run into him, I'm really excited to see him. But you know, as he want, he recognized something in me and wanted to teach me something that I wasn't really interested in learning. Um, but I have these vivid memories of me standing, and he's the only like really hard line classical teacher I ever had. And I'm standing there, and I'm playing some etude, and he would have six points. And, you know, it was bow arm, it was, you know, intonation, it was, you know, how I'm positioning my elbow, whatever it is. And he would circle me, and he would yell each one at me. And I'd, you know, because it's, you know, the six, six points he'd walk around, he's probably about two minutes. And so by the time he'd finish the cycle... I would be focusing on the thing he just said, but I've let, you know, I'm, I've got my elbow under my fiddle, but my, my bow arm's down. And so, you know, now he's yelling at me again. Uh, and I'm lucky that, you know, the real old school guys would carry around a bow and hit whatever thing was wrong. So, I, you know, I'm lucky <laughs> that I missed that. Um, but it was, he'd have these, you know, five or six points and it was always, you know, various. And then it was the last one. And no matter, you know, he'd do this every, just about every lesson. And it, it was, he was a genuinely kind guy. I don't want to give any misrepresentation to this professor, but that, you know, that's definitely how he learned and how he, he did it. And he'd get to the last one and he'd go, and he had this wonderful baritone, and stand like a man, man. <laughs> and I just, I, it was amazing. And I loved, I gained so much respect because he really was, I do music because it's something that I grew up very much surrounded. It, it is something that I I see as a, a friend. It, it's it's you know in a, a kind of a hokey way, but it's it's something that's always there. It's it's kind of just a it's something that I I do at times take for granted. It's a lifestyle. It's um, everybody I know plays music. A bunch of my family plays music. It's just kind of something you do. And for this guy, it was this. He had spent his entire life fighting to be a musician, and he was this incredibly... He was a well-tuned machine. I'm kind of, you know, I'm fueled by beer and chicken wings, and, you know, and he's this just, I mean, incredible, very poised, incredible musician, and uh, had had an ear that I had never encountered because he spent his entire life listening to microtonal stuff. Right. Um, and, but yeah, I, I don't really... I, to answer your question, I don't know if I really have a, a point... Um, I like I've never thought of the the teachers that have stuck with me the most were always the ones that were really saying talking much more about how to approach music as a whole than the specific pieces of my playing and maybe that is why I am not a particularly poised individual but you know it's I, I talked about Shannon a minute ago and the you know the it go that way too like that has had a much bigger impact on me, you know, being in, in gigs and somebody, you know, pointing out to me like, Hey man, that wasn't good. Or that, that link you did was out of 10 or, you know, we don't need you to play a solo here or we don't need you to come back tomorrow. You know, any, and those are all conversations that have been had. And, uh, it's the, the information that's been so important is, you know, it's okay. It's you, you do you, you are yourself. And just, you know, keep playing music, and it's all right. It, it goes that way, too. And, I mean, I talk about, you know, Miss Tony, who was my, you know, probably 10 years of violin lessons from whatever that is, 6 to 14, 16, something like that. 
And uh, I remember the first lesson I ever did with her, and she goes, uh, it, 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 through a weird series of events, it was my first or second lesson, and we were about to have a recital. And she's like, you've never done a recital with me. I go, no, I haven't. She goes, okay, so what do you do if a bee comes at you? I, I don't know. What do you want me to do if a bee comes at you? <laughs> she's like, you keep playing. I'm like, All right. And that, I mean, I'm, I was six or seven. Sure. And I, re- I remember the room we were in. And it's, if a bee comes at you, you keep playing. I mean, it's that, those are the lessons that have stopped with me and have mattered to me both musically and in life. It, you know, I, I keep waiting for Mr. Miyagi to show up, but, you know, it's tough. This is a tune that Lars wrote and is performing here with his now fiance Laura, the band called Laura and Lars. It's called Whooper Will Bay. next door to Tracy Silverman. I, I did growing up. I, I grew up with his daughters um, who were great people and still I see from time to time. Um, not in a while, I guess. But uh, yeah, man, Tracy, I knew Tracy as Mr. Silverman. Um, and he, I didn't, you know, I didn't, it, he was my friend's dad. Um, and then as I discovered electric violin, I think it was that there was a, a local youth orchestra, like an after-school youth orchestra, and it was the, the MCYO, it was the Eclectic Youth Orchestra, and uh, run by a conductor, Walter Bittner, who ended up being a, a friend, and his son and I grew up together, uh, Holden. Um, but uh, MCYO, their artist-in-residence was Tracy, and they were doing Eclectic, They we would do Bach, but Tracy and Walter would also write uh, arrangements of uh, what were uh, Mr. Blue Sky by mm-hmm. the ELL. It was that kind of stuff. Um, full orchestra arrangements, uh, and we did we did kind of blue, mm-hmm. um, you know, just and that was how they introduced blues solos or you know blues jazz solos. Uh, and so I was in this orchestra. 
and we had a basically a an introductory concert when I first joined, and Tracy shows up with the board and the the amp. You know, I think he was doing a it was a four ten uh, Marshall cab boogie. He's probably running the Mark. Mark Five, you know, two channel. He's still got that rig in yeah. his office. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, he's got the. This was back before the Boomerang Three. This was a Boomer Two. This is the full board before he was doing anything digital. And I sat there, and he did his Zeppelin medley. And he, I mean, I, I'm just. It was the moment you listen to a lot of people talk about, like the moment they understood music. And for me, at 14. And I had at this point I started playing some bass because I wanted to be in rock bands because I didn't think you could play fiddle in a rock band. And I was like, "This is the this is the guy. This is the thing. He's figured it out. He knows everything." And so I called Tracy and I was like, "Hey man, I went and I bought an electric violin. What's the move? Like, can I study with you?" And he kind of laughed and he's like, "Yeah, man. Like, sure." And he was really good to me and he brought me over and you know I'd literally walk. There's a little break in the fence, and I would walk through the fence and go to violin lessons. And uh, man, Tracy, Tracy did. I I don't have words for everything that Tracy did for me. Man, he started letting me roadie for him, and would introduce me to all his buddies, and you know, bring me to to Belmont. And then he introduced me to Elizabeth Smalls, who worked with me on my uh, my posture for a little while at the end of co- uh, high school because I'd just gone through a real big growth spurt. Mm-hmm. I was that weird kind of lanky thing. Um, and so she did a lot to help me to kind of figure out how to play violin as an especially large person. Um, and, uh, but man, Tracy just, he taught me a lot musically and he, you know, would explain, he was the guy who was explaining pedals to me. He was explaining to me why, why a compressor mattered and how these different, you know, distortions and overdrives affected each other. And, um, and all in, reference to a violin and it was just it was awesome man. and it really was I I will keep coming back to what an amazing blessing being in Nashville was for no other reason than I was surrounded by the best of the best and I mean literally the first person that I knew to call about playing an electric violin is the guy I mean it, as far as I'm concerned is and was and is the guy and he has figured out this thing and I mean it was th- this was before he'd started doing the orchestral stuff or it might be he had just done Dharma Big Sur I think okay. this was right at the beginning of that whole thing and you know and to me he's this insane rock star um, and he just he did so much to teach me the that there really was no limit musically um, and you know, helped me kind of fall in love with the format. And he got me in touch with John Jordan, who I then had, uh, I commissioned an incredible uh, six-string spalted maple electric violin that I still use, I will play it tonight. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Tracy just always just took great care of me. And he was always just, he was just always watching out for me. That's awesome. Yeah, man. We got a couple minutes before we need to head out the door to get All you right. to sound check, but uh, I do want to talk a little bit of gear. Maybe tell people what your rig is tonight. Don't. Um, okay, so I run uh, everything into a Kemper. Um, I'm. I. We've all done. You know, for this sort of thing, you, there's not really a blueprint. So, like, I 
for a long time had a board with one of those loop switchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would run three of the loops as actual loops and I would have like a, a room, kind of a wet room sound and then I'd have a weird spacey effect set and some distortions and things. But then it was always uh, one loop would send out to uh, a DI and then wouldn't return. Another loop did the same thing and the output would go to a DI, but I'd split it and you could go to a DI or to an output to an amp. So I effectively had three unique gain staging outputs and an amp, and I could just switch between them and then I had one wireless for the instruments. It's a great idea. It works fine, but the issue is even, and I've, I've had, um, I had this board wired professionally by a, a Runway Audio, a great uh, company out of Nashville, all hand soldered, well done. But still, you're talking 30 plus connection points, and there's just no way it doesn't go wrong. Like, there's no way flying, sitting in a trailer, whatever it is. So I, I mean, and I love this rig. I still, I refuse to take it apart because it's, it's a masterpiece. Um, but it, it was getting cumbersome and people had been talking about the Kemper for years and, you know, and there's Kemper and there's Helix mm-hmm. and, uh, Axe Effects. Uh, and, you know, I just kept putting it off because I grew up in Nashville and Nashville doesn't trust new things and I'm a little crotchety and that's okay. And if it's, you know, if, if Leo Fender himself didn't make it, it's probably not worth <laughs> a, a dime. Um, and, uh, but I, I showed up on a gig and, you know, I brought all my gear and they're like, oh, you're not going to use any of your gear. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, we got Kempers. We're going to show you how to use the Kemper, but we don't, we don't have any stage volume. So you're going to run the Kemper. I was like, okay. And it was a steep learning curve, but the Kemper has changed everything. Because on this gig, I'm running seven instruments uh, to front of house. And one option would be to have seven DIs with seven kill switches taking up seven lines, all running in mono to front of house, and then he can individually put reverbs and delays on each of those seven things, and then I effectively have just dry acoustic seven instruments. Or I've got something like the Kemper that sends stereo out to the board. He, it uses up two of his channels. He runs you know gates and some compression, but I think really he doesn't run me through much other than that because I'm doing everything in the Kemper. Mm-hmm. And so I'm playing... Uh, let's see, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm going to point out each of the companies here. So I'm endorsed by Recording King, um, Recording King. I use, uh, one of their Dobros and, uh, one of their five string banjos. And then they set me up with one of their sister companies, uh, Ganjos. And then I use a Reverend Guitars uh, electric guitar. Um, one of their abilities is a Jetstream 390. It's a Strat, but with three P90s. Mm. Or I guess, excuse me, an S-style guitar sure. with three P90s. It's, it's this kind of fast Strat killer. It's a great guitar. Um, and then fiddles. I'm using two uh, Glasser four-string carbon fiber fiddles. Uh, Andrew Glasser is an awesome guy. I got to go out to his shop a couple weeks ago. Um, I cannot speak highly enough about Andrew and, and Mark out there. Uh, they're great. And those fiddles, I've traveled with you know, wooden fiddles for years and uh, they break. Yep. Um, they break, they warp, stuff happens. It's crappy. Um, and so I just was very tired of it. I had had two fiddles break on me in one weekend. Oh. Um, just, you know, the moon, it was a full moon. I don't know, something. Um, and so... 
I, uh, both you, um, well, you, you had, uh, I got in touch with you and talked to you about these, these car, you know, I was basically, Hey man, here's my problem. I've been seeing the Glasser stuff. What do you think? And you were like, man, you know, you should get in touch with Andrew. And I did, and they've been real good to me ever since. And then I've got this, uh, six string Jordan electric violin. And that's a, you know, a solid body, purely electric violin. So all of those have pickups on them. Everything except the fiddles are LR bags, pickups, all passive. Um, I'm usually a passive guy. Um, and then the glasser is the uh, Bartolini, I believe, pickups, and those are both active. And the Jordan's a passive Barbera. Um, and I run all of those down uh, a single wireless line. I've got wireless packs on all the guitar-shaped instruments, and then I carry a pack on my pocket, and I just plug it in and out for the three fiddles. It's not perfect, but it works. Mm -hmm. I know some people have uh, cut holes in fiddles and taped them up or taped, you know, whatever, done shoulder rests and things. Um, and I might go that far someday, but for the time being, for what I'm doing, in the pocket, you make sure you have a long enough line on you, it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, so that's running to a wireless unit. I believe we use one of the higher insurers. That's, that's the, the uh, you know, that's, that's the artist's gear. We uh, rent from Claire Audio, and so that, that's a Claire rack, but the, we, I use their wireless, and then they route that into the Kemper, and through the Kemper, I'm running uh, many, I have a different profile for every song, um, but each one, I kind of have a basic DI setting for each of my instruments, and then for anything that would normally be like a guitar amp, you know, cabin head, I have something set up for that. So like the, all the fiddles, banjos, dobros, are going through, uh, I profile uh, Bags DI, so bag ven Bags Venue primarily, but I have a couple of the, um, one of the smaller DI's that I also have profiled on there, but I use uh, for the electric fiddle and for the electric guitar, I run those through a simulated, you know, 65 uh, Deluxe Reverb because that's a dope you can. amp. Yeah, because yeah, you can. Um, and so, but what it allows me to do is every song I can, for every song, whatever instrument I'm using, I have whatever input gain I want. So I get a nice, clean, clear line level signal. And I can run it through whatever processing I want, which is usually mild because most of the time I'm just emulating a, you know, a violin's a violin. But sometimes I want some crazy distortion or whatever. But what it does allow me to do is every song, I have my own reverb and delay. So I have my own nice room sound. But then for some crazy stuff, you'll hear one where I have a, and it's stereo. Everything's stereo. That's beautiful. So I've got a full 180 degrees pan um, from one ear to the other crazy delay behind the pan so it's whatever's hitting the pan is going hard left hard right and then a real hard distortion and so you're hearing the tail and the to ear to ear in the context of the band so you really don't hear any of my notes but you hear all of this really wild um stuff and it's it's really cool um to be able to do that so the reason i love the kemper and there are a lot of complaints about various digital amps, and I, I understand it, and there are people with better ears than me, and sure, if you hear it, great. I'm running acoustic instruments without a microphone because there's no functional way to do that because we have a drum set into a series of boxes with lots of cabling. 
that end up at at speakers, to me it all sounds about the same and it gives me the ability to put, if I want a heavy compression or I want a distortion or I want a phaser, like I'm not having to, oh, we've got one song that should have kind of a John Luke thing. I don't have to go like, oh, I gotta go buy a, you know, a, a new pedal. I've got everything I could need just about right there. And I, I love it. And I love pedals and I love amps and I have a lot of those at the house that I've collected over the years. But functionally for this kind of gig, there is, if you're willing to put in the time yep. to program everything, figure out how it works, there's nothing like it. Well, the beauty of it, too, is that, that you can save all those on a jump drive. And if you have to do a fly date and they just backline it for you, oh. boom, enter it in there. If, if you've got five guys on stage all using Kempers, you carry one or two as spares. One goes down, they move your stuff over, and you're good oh. to go. So we, we do have, we have a, our bass player using a Kemper. So we're four guys... It's a six-piece band and then artists, so seven people on stage, of the, all four uh, guitar-shaped instruments are running through Kempers. Sure. And when we do fly dates, like we did, uh, I think we did Fallon last week, and literally our tech flew out. There were Kempers waiting for us, and he took the jump drive and yep. just made each one, slave, you know, cloned it. Yep, and it was great. And it's it solves so many. And with MIDI connection, you can have a you can have a uh, you know a stop box monkey somewhere oh. changing everybody's. So you don't even have to touch anything to change it. So it's all. Uh, and there's not even a stop box monkey. It's it's uh, time code. Oh, it's it's all, slave so it's to all time code. Off of Ableton or whatever. So yeah. So when when the click's running, I can be on a twenty foot thrust playing a solo, and then I can be walking back, and Your it's going to trigger to a rhythm patch, so I don't have to like. Run back halfway through the solo and fix it. It's amazing. That's beautiful. It, it's, it is absolutely dope. And I really love... I mean, I, I go back to this. I have a great deal of love and respect for traditional music. I really enjoy that. And there's a place for that. And for me, that's unplugged in a living room. But doing, doing a pop production show, like, man, you can't... You can't put a fifty-seven on a on a fiddle and think that something's going to work. Not like it's in front just of twenty thousand people. No, absolutely not. And so I mean, it's doing these big, big shows for big crowds and big noise. I mean, I literally I started putting a, a little a, a resonance damper. It's called Moon Gel uh, on my banjos because like we did the Houston Rodeo, we did which was amazing, oh, yeah. and it's that yeah. it's that rotating stage, yep. and we you know it was. And this is, you know, it's a, a football stadium with 75,000 people screaming. And that banjo head is shaking oh, like true. a wet dog. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's here and everything. And so, I mean, I've got a towel in the banjo. I've got the, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, man. It really is just incredible. I love it. Um, there's no reason not for this kind of stuff. There's no reason not to innovate. So, yeah, I, I love it a lot. Well, listen, we uh, we got to wrap up because we got to get him back to uh, the stage. It's been a real pleasure, man. Matt, Matt, thank you so much for having me and bringing me out. Let me see the shop. This has really been yeah, amazing. Man. And uh, looking forward to the show tonight. Looking forward to having you. Let's do it. All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Rockstar Violinist. If you're digging these, please leave us a five-star review and comment on whatever platform you're listening on. That helps us more than you know. We will try to squeeze one more of these interviews in before the end of the year. Can you believe it's almost 2020 already? We were partying like it was 1999, like five minutes ago. Anyway, keep cranking those fiddles, and we'll see you in a few weeks with another rock star violinist. I'm homesick for you.
this feeling that I'm feeling, no, we don't quit it. It's like every.